Welcome to episode four of the Noid Knowledge Podcast. I'm Meg LaRue, Group Editorial Director of Cannabis Science and Technology and Cannabis Patient Care Magazines and your podcast co-host. I'm Evan Friedman, Vice President of Scientific Cell Company and the other person asking questions to expand all our Noid knowledge. On this month's episode, we have the pleasure of extracting that knowledge from Dr. Marion McNabb, President of the Cannabis Center of Excellence Incorporated. Dr. McNabb has done a lot of really interesting research and surveys in the cannabis industry, including studies on veterans, COVID-19, and healthcare providers, just to name a few. Today, Dr. McNabb will be discussing some of the findings from those studies, her ongoing research efforts, upcoming projects, and even how average people are getting involved. Let's jump right in and expand our NOID knowledge. Dr. McNabb, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Meg and Evan. It's really a pleasure to be here. So, Dr. McNabb, can you tell us a little bit about your medical background and how you became interested in the cannabis industry? Yeah, thank you. Um, so, by way of training, I'm a public health doctor, and I have spent the majority of my career um, working in global public health, actually. So, working in HIV AIDS, family planning, maternal child health, and um, you know, really throughout that time, I, I worked in global global settings, so mainly in Africa um, and Haiti. And about five years ago, um, it became legal for adult use cannabis in Massachusetts and decided to hang up my global health hat for a minute and focus on cannabis research, education, and social justice. Um, so formed a, um, a company back five years ago um, and uh, really have been working over the last a couple of years, as you said, to um, really advance cannabis research, education, and social justice. Um, so was really interested in those areas specifically um, in the cannabis industry because it has been federally illegal and very difficult for researchers to conduct studies. Um, so I was quite interested in, in diving into that challenge and really trying to see how we could um, you know, get the word out, uh, create more collaborations with academics, and um, the industry and the healthcare provider industry. That's, uh, it's inspiring. Um, can you tell us more about this study you're doing, healthcare provider knowledge, attitudes, practices related to medical cannabis research study? What inspired you to form this, this research entity? How can healthcare professionals take part in the study? And do you have a shorthand title for it? Because it's kind of a mouthful. <laughs> it is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, so this study, yeah, the um, we can call it the Healthcare Provider Medical Cannabis Study for short. How about that? Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so this all started um, uh, as a result of some of the findings from the previous research studies that um, I've been the principal investigator of. So... The first research study that I conducted um, was in 2018. Um, so UMass Dartmouth uh, reached out to um, myself um, in 2018, um, wanting to have an ongoing study collaborator that really looked at you know these uh, cannabis research topics and how do we advance um, you know getting the word out there. So in 2018, we started with a, a cannabis consumer and a patient study. And we found that a lot of the respondents in that study, we asked, why do you consume cannabis? How does it help your health condition? Where do you find your information? 
And by and large, um, the respondents um, reported not finding their information from healthcare providers. Um, and really finding it from the Google search or you know, uh, uh, their own scientific literature search or from a dispensary agent. So started to understand at that point a couple years ago that healthcare providers were not necessarily um, you know, the go-to for people to talk about um, their medical cannabis use. And then in 2019, um, launched a Veterans Health and Medical Cannabis Study. And in that study, we asked veterans, you know, where did they find their information about medical cannabis? And same by and large, um, not seeking their health information from healthcare providers. And actually, um, you know, we partnered together, Meg, on doing a webcast um, from those study results in 2019 uh, with Cannabis Patient Care Magazine. And when we presented um, the work in that webcast, uh, medicinal genomics saw and and reached out and was curious about uh, healthcare providers um, and about you know understanding a little bit more around the knowledge around healthcare providers um, as they run CanMed, a really excellent conference every year, and so we um, you know just trying to understand the research findings from before um, together partnered to. Um, conduct the healthcare provider medical cannabis study. Um, <laughs> but it is a knowledge, attitudes, and practices study. Um, so really what we try to do is, um, you know, collaborate with some of the leaders in the field, with our co-investigators, and gather opinions and ideas about um, what types of information we should be asking from healthcare providers. And knowledge, attitudes, and practices is something I, you know, from, from global health world uh, from my global health work, um, really trying to understand, you know, the knowledge of a healthcare provider, but then what is their attitude related to the topic and then their practices. And so that's why it's a knowledge, attitude and, and practices survey. So we're asking healthcare providers, okay, what do you know? Um, and then, you know, asking certain questions around um, if they have formed beliefs around medical cannabis um, and then asking what their practices are, are they, you know, have they received any, um, you know, sort of CME official training or, you know, are there policies in place that allow them to have medical cannabis as, um, you know, to become a recommender? And then um, we ask uh, what they want to know about medical cannabis and um, how they want to learn it. So we're really hopeful that this information can, you know, coming from healthcare providers' mouths themselves, um, help really understand, you know, uh, what is the lay of the land out there for um, medical cannabis education and knowledge and, and what do healthcare providers want to know about it? You know, what are they most interested in learning about and how? Um, so it's it's been a, a, an interesting ride so far um, and, you know, excited we're still in the middle of data collection. And um, so any healthcare provider, we can put the links out there. Um, you do not have to be trained in medical cannabis. And actually we'd like, uh, probably prefer not trained um, in addition to some respondents trained so that we can really um, sort of understand uh, from a variety of perspectives uh, and a variety of, of health, I should mention, it's um, a, a healthcare worker study that's in North America. So in Canada and in the United States. Um, any a healthcare provider can take it. It's anonymous and from any kind of profession. So nursing, physicians, pharmacy, um, social work, all those different areas. So I know you said you're still collecting um, data, but can you share some of the initial findings from the study so far? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, some very interesting, interesting findings to date. Um, the majority of the respondents to date, actually 78% of them have actually received continuing medical education on cannabis. So we need more work to do to get um, the word out there for sort of cannabis naive uh, uh, clinicians, so to speak. And we're working on that using some interesting ways to collect data that we can chat about. Um, but 20% um, of the respondents so far are physicians and 20% are nurses. The majority of the respondents are in the United States um, with 97%. Um, <clears throat> and then um, when actually asked if they are a uh, registered medical cannabis provider, 47% um, are not registered as a medical cannabis provider or recommender, so to speak, and 47% are registered and the other remaining um, don't want to be. Um, and when asked about their workplace policies, 50% um, of the healthcare providers so far uh, say that their workplace does have a policy related to medical cannabis um, and the others do not. So we're still in this sort of transition period, at, you know, depending on what type of healthcare system or what type of, um, you know, entity that they're reporting from. But, um, you know, and maybe this is also due to the majority of the respondents having some training on medical cannabis in this study. 43% uh, report that they believe medical cannabis has a therapeutic role in patient care. And 25% reported some role for treatment for specific health conditions. And 14% said they needed more scientific evidence to make any sort of firm conclusion. So these are all just preliminary results. I'm very excited to present the final, um, you know, preliminary results at CAMED uh, in May uh, this year. But um, you know, it's it's interesting across the board, and we'll be digging digging in more um, as we lead up to May. Definitely interesting for for certain, uh, and uh, I'd love to hear what additional results you hope to to uncover by the end of the study. Um, but before you answer that question, uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you say Canada and the U S is, is there interest in, in Mexico as well, since Mexico's, uh, legal landscape has changed recently. Um, and is there an interest in, in, uh, accessing Spanish-speaking providers in in the U.S. and Canada as well. Yeah, that's a um, and in this study specifically, we're looking at only North America, but obviously healthcare providers around the world. You know, um, should we should be uh, thinking about this? And in other countries, it's very different. So, um, you know, and very different in the sense of allowing you know healthcare providers. For example, Israel considers. Um, you know, medical cannabis, a first line treatment. So, you know, I think it is very interesting to look at the different geographies and how those clinicians within a, um, you know, a country or even a state differ. Um, in this study, um, uh, we are just specifically looking at the U.S. and Canada, but in the future, I think an international study would be great. Um, it's a good suggestion to offer it uh, uh, with a different language. Unfortunately, right now we are only, it is an English survey, um, but in the future, 
uh, would be great to, you know, have different languages included, specifically to reach out to, you know, populations in the United States that um, may not speak English as their primary language. So, um, hope that answered your question. Yeah, for sure. So the the other one that I uh, sort of stepped on was uh, if you have any results you're you're hoping to find uh, before uh, the or upon completion of the study. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think we, I think what one of the um, interesting things that we're going to uh, uncover is really what are the topics that healthcare providers want to learn about and um, how they want to learn about it. Um, and also really trying to understand um, their comfort level around um, currently either their interest in becoming a medical cannabis licensed recommended practitioner uh, versus not. I think those will be very interesting uh, findings to analyze <clears throat> at the end. And also we, we did try and implement some innovative ways to collect data. So we're testing those methodologies, whether or not they'll work or not, um, don't know, but using it as an opportunity, as a uh, sort of test bank to test out some approaches. So I'm interested to see if any of those work. Um, I could jump into to that side of it uh, right now on the citizen science side and what we've tried to implement. Yeah, please. please. Yeah, please go ahead. Cool. So, um, what we've what I've learned over the last couple of years is that um, in in the consumer and the patient studies, is that um, you know medical cannabis patients, you know, when they find relief, they can become very very strong advocates, um, and they become strong advocates for themselves and also for others. Um, and so, taking this idea of um, citizens becoming a part of their own, or citizens and patients uh, becoming a part of a scientific study um, is something that we wanted to explore. So in my background in global public health, um, I learned about uh, the citizen scientist. Have you all heard about the citizen scientist? No. Nope. Not at <laughs> it, Well, we should get the word out. So citizen science is a field of um, science that was born out of environmental health, actually. So um, really trying to engage people in environmental sustainability issues. So um, when you're walking around, and this was, I, I observed all of this kind of really great work when I was working in, in low-income countries, where um, you're really uh, basically engaging citizens to report on water, uh, dirty water, or, you know, other environmental concerns. And um, it became a field over the last 30 years of citizen science, um, where, you know, you can engage people to go out and help collect data or help raise awareness that are not trained as scientists, but you can equip them um, with the knowledge and the skills uh, to be able to go out and, and collect data and kind of work with, with researchers. So last year, um, you know, implemented uh, this type of approach, but for cannabis specifically. So um, I'm based out of Massachusetts. And so this is a little hyper local to Massachusetts, this, this little experiment, um, although the study is, is nationwide and, and in Canada. So um, have been going around and kind of recruiting um, and talking about this healthcare provider study and also talking to medical patients um, and how they, medical cannabis patients, <clears throat> and have found a number of, of uh, people that are quite engaged and interested in participating 
in research studies, although they're not formally trained, but they're motivated and very motivated because they have found benefits for medical cannabis themselves and have struggled because maybe didn't get, um, you know, sort of their healthcare providers on their side. Um, a lot of people have, um, you know, sort of tried to use medical cannabis as a replacement for other drugs and alternative, uh, like opiates, for example, and have really, you know, found resistance sometimes at their healthcare provider communities. So what we did was um, kind of get some of these really engaged and excited patients and ask them to help us get the word out about the study and raise awareness about the healthcare provider study. Um, and so the last couple of months, we um, recruited some of these citizens, given them packets of information, uh, flyers uh, to go take and uh, place around healthcare facilities or go engage with their clinicians or engage with their communities um, and kind of do a little bit of, um, you know, sort of graffiti marketing, so to speak, um, going around, uh, you know, where maybe healthcare workers eat at cafes or, um, you know, other places where healthcare workers congregate, where we could kind of leave flyers and information. Um, and one of the approaches that, that we did try, and we'll see if this works, again, this is all kind of a big test, um, is, you know, printing out these uh, sort of yard signs as well. So, and hanging these yard signs in legal places, um, asking healthcare providers to scan, and you know, uh, it goes directly to the survey, um, and trying to see if any of these approaches of raising awareness, um, you know, in the community, um, would work. Um, so we're in the middle of testing it, and we've got some signs out there, and we'll be doing more um, canvassing in Massachusetts, um, and yeah, just trying to trying to be creative about how we not only collect data, do cannabis research studies, but also then try and get that information back out to people. Um, that's really important to, to me and to the work that we've done in the last couple of years. Because um, you can collect data all you want, uh, but you really need to turn that back into practice. And, and a, good, a good example of that is cannabis patient care, you know, and, and the event that we did. And, um, you know, really trying to um, utilize uh, research, but not only for research sake to actually do public health interventions as well. Have, have you encountered any providers that are not certified as recommenders, but are interested in cannabinoid therapy and the endocannabinoid system? Maybe they've got whatever reason why they don't want to be registered as a provider, but they want to be able to, uh, you know, inform their patient base and all of that. Do you encounter any of that? Yeah. And, you know, our data, um, you know, come out with this so far is that, you know, I think for medical providers, they're limited sometimes by their facility or by their healthcare system to actually become a licensed recommender, but would want to know information. And I think what we're seeing and what we hear a lot about is um, patients often know sometimes more than their healthcare providers about medical cannabis, and that leaves a healthcare provider um, in a you know predicament. Um, so I, but I also think there are some healthcare providers and um, some specialties that are still quite resistant to medical cannabis, and that's because they're training or just because the sheer fact that there's a um, while there are publications and while there is scientific literature that's coming out regularly about cannabis, you know, 
distilling that and providing that kind of level of rigor and training for, uh, you know, rigor of evidence for healthcare providers is important. And so what we're seeing, you know, um, just in the data that, you know, I reported earlier, um, oh, actually I did not report that. I was looking into um, how many, um, how many, what, what ways that medical providers would want to access the information and scientific literature and peer reviewed literature, published literature is, is up at the top. Um, you know, the other way that they wanted to learn was around lectures. Um, and so understanding that when you're educating a patient or a consumer and, and you're educating a healthcare provider, it, it's quite different, right? And, um, you know, what kinds of evidence that you'll provide um, to make sure that it meets the clinical gold standards. Um, you know, I think we still have room to get there, um, but there's a lot of really brilliant people working on this um, topic and providing CME around the world. And um, so I think we're, we're in an exciting time now, but uh, to answer your question, yeah, I think there are providers that will definitely want to learn, um, even though they may not be a recommender, may not have a desire or the ability to be a recommender. I just want to follow up on that question with like, what kind of journals specifically do medical providers take seriously? Like obviously the New England Journal of Medicine, but like there are strictly peer reviewed cannabis journals out there. Are they, would they, would that be something that a medical provider would look at and say, this is serious because it's fully peer reviewed or would it have to be in like one of the more popular journals that they're aware of already? Um, I mean, I would say I, I, I'm a public health professional, so I'm not a clinician per se. So um, just so I can't really speak from a clinician's perspective. Um, but I would say those are peer reviewed journals. And if they have good index factors, that should be taken seriously. And um, that's my opinion about it. Um, so I, I would if I was a clinician because it's peer reviewed. And, you know, if there's good impact factors. Um, yeah, there are gold standards of New England Journal of Medicine and um, you know, others. Um, but I, 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 they all, I, I would, I would say that the cannabis specific ones, if peer reviewed, great. Um, um, but I also, you know, think that, you know, if we can get the word out um, of, even if it's not peer reviewed, um, you know, trying to get the word out about, um, you know, different research findings or different ways to educate our healthcare providers is still important too. Um, so peer reviewed publications, are important, but not not everything. Um, but that's just my thought from a public health perspective. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, can you talk about any of the specific challenges you faced in doing this study? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, so I the challenge that I think is really important to note is that right now in 2022, we're coming out of two years of COVID and um, our healthcare workers are really overwrought themselves. And what we're asking is to take 10 minutes out of a, a tired healthcare workers day to take a survey. And, um, and on a topic that, you know, can be controversial to um, certain healthcare providers. So, you know, getting the word out through some, uh, you know, and in healthcare systems is a challenge because, you know, um, there's different regulations for each of these healthcare provider systems. So, you know, um, if I'm if not affiliated with an institution, 
you know, um, maybe they won't be sharing a survey, so to speak, because um, there's sort of that level of, um, you know, uh, uh, oversight. So um, I would say, one, the challenge is, you know, our healthcare workers are exhausted right now. And so trying to get uptake and get them interested in this is um, a challenge. Um, and I'd also say, um, you know, just in general, um, you know, we've been working to collaboratively fundraise to, to get this study going. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful for more future opportunities for uh, grants that come out um, through like the NIH and other more formal traditional uh, researching structures um, to be able to, you know, continue to drive this ball forward. And I'm excited because there are some coming out now uh, at the, so we're seeing some movement in this, uh, you know, research funding in the last couple of years, which is great. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's needed. So, the, you know, the federal government's finally kind of recognizing this. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the main challenges is, is the fact that our healthcare workers are burdened themselves. And over the last couple of months have been talking with co-investigators like Dr. Grinspoon, Dr. Peter Grinspoon, for example, um, who's a very busy, uh, clinician and, you know, there's a lot of provider burnout right now. Um, there's a lot of, you know, uh, it's been difficult to literally be in a pandemic and to be able to treat this. So it's implementing this study at a time when our healthcare workers are already stressed and um, has been interesting. You know, um, I would say that one of the responses of that is what we're, you know, is trying to understand how can we work towards maybe having healthcare providers themselves also have medical cannabis. We're asking them, how do you, you know, sort of want to incorporate this with your patients, um, but also need, needing to be really mindful that these are people themselves and um, that are going through PTSD and anxiety and depression potentially as, as we're living through this pandemic. So, um, you know, as, as the study has been going on, just really trying to understand that level of perspective too and and how could we um really think because there are uh, obviously some uh real important um uh regulations around you know uh, healthcare provider access to these kinds of um uh treatments but it's just it just you know begs more begs more discussion around it you know Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say it's a shame you can't give away a, a pre-roll with every survey submission. Uh, <laughs> it probably would do every respondent uh, good after the last two years we, we've all been through uh, and the frontline workers, especially. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That, that's a pretty unique challenge, uh, I, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the incentives for the survey right now are um, healthcare providers who take it are entered into a, a lottery to win a uh, practicum ticket at CanMed for the CME portion and um, a gift card as well, a lottery for a gift card. Um, if we uh, can secure another uh, major partner uh, for the second part to be able to fund some incentives, um, we're, we're still seeking to do that to uh, try and be able to offer more incentives for for the healthcare providers. But to your point, I bet you know if if they were allowed a pre roll or you know maybe some CBD, um, <laughs> that would be a good one. A- a- anything to to help them through this, especially yeah. now that that 
we've all collectively decided it's over, even though they still have to work in, in these places. They had all these traumatic experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe not even getting the right pay or, you know, hazard pay and seeing a lot of layoffs. And to your point, our frontline workers, right? So our, not only our um, hospital workers, but also, you know, firefighters or people who are dealing with the opioid epidemic, because what we're seeing, I mean, is clearly a rise in the opioid epidemic in conjunction with COVID. So this is, a, you know, kind of a, a tough time for people who are dealing with frontline workers dealing with opioid epidemic, dealing with COVID, and yeah, them themselves being um, caught in the middle. It's, it's amazing anybody still works in public health. Yeah. Or in clinical care, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah. Um, so speaking of COVID-19, um, I know you did a study there on COVID-19 and I believe long haul patients. Um, and can you share, you're doing an upcoming webcast with us um, in April on that. Can you share some highlights from that research? Yeah. So um, in, when COVID hit, um, we launched uh, in May of 2020 and this study lasted until April of 2021. So it was the beginning part of the um, COVID pandemic. And the study we asked, um, you know, why, uh, again, similar questions about consumers and patients, you know, are they consuming medical cannabis and how is that helping them? What are the side effects um, and um, why are they choosing for which type of health conditions? But we also asked, you know, did COVID-19 and the introduction of this um, have any impact on your um, uh, you know, why you're choosing? Uh, did you have to change uh, methods? Um, did that impact? How did COVID impact your life? Um, and I'm really excited. Thanks for doing the, the webcast in April. We're going to dig in a lot more um, about this and have a really nice discussion around the cannabis and COVID data in general that's coming out in these research studies um, with Dr. Peter Grinspoon. Um, but in this study that was conducted in the beginning of the pandemic, this were the respondents majority were from Massachusetts. So 74% um, were from Massachusetts. We did have 9% veterans um, respond and 51% of the respondents um, reported they were medical patients with a medical card. Um, the other areas that we asked if you were an adult use um, or if you considered yourself a medical patient without a card. Um, and we can drill down uh, all into these more in, in the in the webcast. But um, what was interesting was when we asked um, what are the top reasons that you consume cannabis for, um, the top one reported was chronic pain, 24% reported using cannabis for chronic pain. But right after that, at 23%, people reported using cannabis for anxiety and then followed by 19% depression. And when we asked out of all the types of health conditions, are you consuming cannabis for, you know, rate all of them, um, the top one reported that, um, by far and large was anxiety. Um, so most people were, you know, responding anxiety. Now, this was a different change than, this was a change from, the study that I ran in, in, in um, 2018 and 2019, where chronic pain, this is pre-COVID, chronic pain was consistently the top condition reported. Anxiety was lower. So now when we see in this COVID data, there's just more and more anxiety. Everybody, you know, people were just anxiety at this time. It was lockdowns. Uh, people were losing their jobs, you know, closing companies. 
Um, so, you know, that I think, you know, uh, came out very clearly. Um, we also asked, you know, what are the real reasons and the primary reasons that you're consuming? And 84% reported for mental health, followed by 75% uh, to improve the quality of their life and 65% for physical reasons. So we just see that, you know, the um, rise in maybe mental anxiety and mental conditions uh, with COVID, you know, has played a role here. 50% um, of our sample reported consuming more cannabis since COVID started. So their cannabis use increased. Um, and again, you know, high levels of reporting for emotional effects. Um, and 54% of the sample uh, reported they're using cannabis to actively reduce um, unwanted medication use, which we've seen across the board in every single study, um, you know, whether it be opioids, SSRIs, anti-anxieties, um, you know, a lot of people in the studies I've run uh, are choosing medical cannabis as an alternative. Um, so excited to dig into, we're preparing uh, uh, our peer-reviewed manuscripts um, now and excited to, to do this webinar a little later this year and, and kind of really dig into these findings um, and be able to talk about the current, current research that's coming out around cannabis as a possible prevention or treatment in that preclinical data. It's really interesting. And I don't want to take too much away from the webcast, but did you ask in the study, um, like how they are consuming cannabis? Like, is it, yes. Cause I know a lot of times with COVID people are shying away from smoking and going to other options. Yes, we did ask that. I was just looking up to, to look at my data. <laughs> um, yeah, we did ask that. And, um, what I can do is do a little review and we can put it in, um, the blurb here, but we asked if people um, actually had to switch consumption methods, um, you know, and if they were choosing to switch consumption methods. But um, yeah, we'll do a review and, and plop it in the comments here. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. Do, uh, along those lines, do you um, class or consider different consumption methods as potentially even different substances? You know, uh, edibles or or classical edibles without a nano emulsion preparation uh you're not really consuming delta 9 are you you're yeah you're taking in delta 9 but you're only experiencing 11 hydroxy once it's been processed through the liver as opposed to smoking or uh even maybe a tincture under the tongue uh does this impact how you look at the data yeah, I mean those. So these, the yes, the, it, it does. These are self-report data from uh, consumers and patients. So uh, what we ask simply is, you know, what what are your preferred methods of consuming, and not drilling down into the deep, deep science that you just talked about. Uh, we're not asking, are you getting a nano emulsified drink seltzer? <sighs> I wish I could, but I don't know if yeah, everybody it, would know what that means. <laughs> I, that, isn't that that the the difficult thing? The education gaps are all yeah. over the place uh, and yeah. the miseducation is intense yeah. too so yeah. trying to ask these questions is is not as straightforward as one might think yeah and then yeah. also you're trying to ask a bunch of cannabis consumers to remember things that's the easiest <laughs> <And> thing. Patience. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, we ask in general categories. So um, vape flour, um, vape oil, uh, edibles, tinctures, uh, patches, 
And then we ask uh, around what they're, you know, most interested in, um, you know, in terms of THC, CBD, but not drilling super, super deep into that, that level of um, science. So, um, which I think, you know, it's, it's so interesting and it's so important to educate our consumers and our patients um, because there's a personal use consumer and then there's the medical patient and, you know, um, really, you know, making sure that they, they understand, you know, what is all this stuff coming out? Yeah. What is like, um, uh, what are all these products and how, how does that affect me? Um, and how I should take it. And it's, it's a really important point because it can be very intimidating, especially for somebody who's older, uh, or a new consumer. I mean, even somebody who's in the industry, like, you know, for certain, or, or maybe somebody that's, uh, been taking CBD, uh, successfully, happily, and they've been buying it from, uh, a CBD shop. And all of a sudden the CBD shop now has Delta eight products on its shelf. And what, what are the answers? (laughs) Because of course the answers aren't even, on, you're not going to find it in a Google search necessarily, or from your healthcare provider. Nobody's, I, I mean, very limited people are going to be out there telling you, well, they make Delta eight from CBD and the process actually creates Delta nine at the same time. And if it's not really controlled, well, there's all these other chemicals that could be in there. Oh, and because it's not Delta nine, it's not regulated by anybody. And so anything could be in there. Like, yeah, well, that's a mouthful. And it took me a long time to learn all of this. How How is the average person that's not in the industry or doing any of this supposed to, to learn and understand? Yeah, I think this is the challenge. And each of these, um, you know, uh, sort of companies or education campaigns or, you know, how each different entity educates their clients and patients, it's, you know, it's really important important to look at um, because, I mean, I got into this industry because I went to a, um, I told you how I got into the industry, but I'm a medical patient myself. I walked into a dispensary and years ago and I read a menu and I didn't get it. I didn't understand. And I didn't, it was too complex at that time for me. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I mean, I'm fairly kind of educated and I am a cannabis consumer. Like, so, you know, I think it is very high level for, and could be very overwhelming for somebody who's new into it and could potentially turn people off from it, you know, because, um, and this is good, draws to the point, important point of labeling and, you know, making sure that you know, what's in, what's in these products too. Um, and, you know, uh, making sure that, you know, there's good testing around it and, um, you know, describes exactly what what you're taking uh when you buy it i uh, i couldn't agree more um so in another episode we had uh some market research survey data presented to us uh, and one data point that really stood out was the one that you've been digging into the lack of education amongst the majority of stakeholders, be they patients, healthcare professionals, the general public, uh, you know, my mom going, why are you smoking all this weed? Like, it's just, uh, so could you tell us some of the other gaps you've found as you've been asking these questions? Um, 
And do you think it's because people aren't interested or they're married to their misconceptions or the the education just isn't out there for them? Uh, and I mean, can we can we change it? Yeah. Have you, have you discovered how we change it? <laughs> no, but not yet. <laughs> uh, no, no, but hopefully we can collectively all do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, back to the, um, you know, gaps in education. I think there's, um, you know, there's the healthcare provider education that we talked about, right? And what's the gaps around that? And it's not included in the endocannabinoid, the endocannabinoid system's not typically included in traditional medical and nursing education. And there's there's that level that we, I think, could change in, in, in the terms of, you know, this starting to become a standard of, uh, offering this kind of educational content within educational institutions, um, and then doing you know more education, CME, continuing medical education events for healthcare providers, um, you know that's that's one area for consumers and patients. I feel like that's another area, uh, a separate area, right, um, where you really are trying to educate them, like we were talking about, on what are these products or the label or or how that can benefit you and your health. Um, and then I think there's education for our policymakers and for the regulators that really needs to happen too. And so that's a separate kind of education because the regulators and the policymakers may not have the subject matter expertise, but the regulations that they're putting in place impact how the industry rolls out and how the education rolls out and how the marketing and or not you know rolls out um and you, so you mean there's a difference between total thc and total delta 9 thc <laughs> yeah yeah i and, mean and this has an impact on the market and what products are out there <laughs> yeah and also you know your testing requirements and your labeling and you know all of those i think yeah you know really having a uh, a scientific update for, um, you know, regulators would be helpful, uh, I think. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with that, <laughs> but regulator-focused education. I, that would be uh, ideal, uh, but, you know, that, that would also require uh, lawmakers, policymakers to listen to something other than just uh, whoever's lining their pockets. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's such a good point, though. Like, so many of the regulations that come through are, what are they based on? And like, we've had conversations in other episodes about this, like, they just choose arbitrary numbers sometimes. So I wish they would get more educated. That would definitely have a yeah. big impact. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. All we can do is try. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, implementing innovative approaches like what we, we tried to do over the last couple of years around education is take the, the research findings like what we did in the veteran study in 2019. Um, so we collected data and then we, we ran several events. We did the same thing in 2018 with the data, ran six events in Massachusetts that brought together patients, policymakers and healthcare providers to talk about this. And so um, and utilize that data to inform those educational events. And those were very powerful. Um, so powerful in the way of, and this was all specifically in Massachusetts, you know, powerful in the way of 
generating conversation, but also raising awareness and education of policy from different levels, from the regulators to the state house. Um, but then running educational events, uh, one of the ways and kind of a citizen science approach, uh, one of the ways that I've implemented over the last couple of years is to have when people were taking these surveys, the first study I did, when they took the survey, they saw their results compared to everybody else. And so that's another way to educate, you know? Um, and what we did then was also go to our local dispensary partners, our medical dispensary partners, where um, they helped us get the word out about the surveys and we, we ran patient education days there. Now, this kind of level of we, in those patient education days, people we invited people, um, you know, anybody, these were all anonymous surveys, so it's not like we contacted people, um, but the, you know, in general, we let folks know if you've taken the survey in the local area, you can come back and you can hear the results. And when we did that, it was very transformative from a education and empowerment perspective. So that's another kind of um, way to get the word out. Like, this grassroots level of, you could see my citizen science grassroots approach, um, you know, engaging people to be champions in their own um, communities and change behavior that way. Maybe that's, maybe that's one creative way that we can, not a solution, but a creative idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you think there are other researchers like you, like across the U.S. that you could potentially partner with to do like more grassroots in each state and try to get more people involved. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to collaborate with anybody doing this stuff. Um, we gratefully have um, <clears throat> over 15 co-investigators on the healthcare provider study right now. Um, I think the one limitation is, um, you know, funding around that and being able to engage. So uh, putting together a great proposal and finding a, a good funding agency to set that all up and to, to expand this would be amazing. Um, yeah, I've, I've, we've got, um, I'm really grateful to the co-investigators they on the healthcare provider study and with other colleagues that, you know, have either spoken at events, Dr. Sue Sicily, um, Dr. Sulak, you know, all of these colleagues, um, they're really amazing. And we've collaborated on, and Dr. Grinspoon, um, Dr. Knox is part of the study now too. Um, so we've, you know, collaborated in the past and, and want to continue to collaborate, um, you know, if they'd be interested to take this kind of a pilot approach. I've just been kind of working on it as a pilot, you know, to see, is this work? Is this, you know, a good way? Is this a good intervention? Um, and we've seen good results. So, um, yeah, I'd love to scale it up. Uh, maybe I'll write a, a project proposal around that. <laughs> Um, so I know you mentioned a lot of other studies. Is there anything else, uh, any any other studies specifically you'd like to share some of the findings on? Um, well, I've done, uh, and I, I'll put it in the chat. We've got a couple of slides that I can put in that were quite interesting um, that looked at the trends of, in each of the studies that conducted the um, original cannabis consumer and patient study, the veteran study and the COVID study specifically around uh, the reduction in unwanted medication use. So we can drop some of those slides in there. I think those are important points to talk about and to continue to raise awareness about uh, because of the fact that when you're dealing, especially in a veteran population, when you have polypharmacy and you're dealing with multiple drugs and you're trying to you know, reduce whatever use of one you know, substitute, all of that needs to be really done carefully with your healthcare provider. 
And, you know, now understanding that our healthcare providers, you know, need to know a little bit more about cannabis, we still have more work to do in this area. So, um, you know, we'll drop in a couple of slides that really looked at the differences in medication use um, and using medical cannabis as an alternative um, in in this podcast. Um, But I do have an exciting uh, program that is just launching um, that maybe we can chat about, which will be our, uh, the next phase of, uh, kind of what I'm working on. So is this the iCount, uh, program to engage consumers? Yes. Please tell us more and, and what the goals are. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really excited about this. Um, we're launching this, uh, new program called iCount. Um, and iCount is designed to be a platform um, that empowers cannabis consumers and patients uh, by amplifying their voices to actively engage and participate in the cannabis and healthcare industry. So it's taking the citizen scientist uh, to the next level. Um, so it's a platform that we're uh, launching to connect consumers, patients, um, and cannabis and CBD um, companies together to be able to take um, surveys. Um, their uh, iCounters can sign up for free um, and take monthly surveys um, that really try and uh, engage their um, voice in the community. So as I talked about before, some of the work that we did, you know, take a survey and see the results right back. And that really empowered people. Um, so we're transforming that. That'll be one aspect. So if you sign up as an iCount reporter, what you submit, you'll be able to kind of see the results of, um, and also uh, be a way for um, these uh, consumers and patients to um, access any additional future research studies or collaborations that uh, might come up. So maybe iCount is our way to, to scale up the citizen science approach that we talked about earlier, Meg. Um, and yeah, so you basically can sign up for free. We'll be taking monthly surveys for benefits. So some of them hopefully be given a pre-rollout uh, to take the survey and um, yeah, and be able to partner with different uh, groups that are interested in taking cannabis research to the next level. So I can drop all the information also um, in this yeah, podcast. We'll link that. we'll link that up in the show notes for sure. Yeah. And when is it launching? Do you have a date yet? Um, it's launching on Wednesday. Oh, wow. I was, yeah, we were just testing it out right before here. So I got to get you all the stuff if you're still willing to help spread the word. About, well, we are spreading the word about it, but, um, but yeah, we are testing it out. I was just going through the beta test this morning and, uh, we're, we're almost ready to go live this week. That's amazing. So this is an app. Um, so it's actually, it's, it's not an, well, you can access it via an app. Um, but it's a platform that's housed on the center of excellence, uh, website. So you can log in, create an account and then access surveys. Um, but it'll be a login and then we'll be rolling out the app portion of it soon. But the first is, a you can log in through your phone or you can log in through, um, uh, a website. No, that's great. That's great. You know, um, along those lines are you're, you're collecting, um, what kind of data in these surveys? Uh, this is consumer experience data or, um, it's a good question. Um, (laughs) so we wanted to create a platform for, um, different types of surveys or information, uh, or research studies. So I think the, um, right now, the way that we've launched it is monthly surveys. Um, our first survey is in March. It's asking, 
um, about how people consume and what their what their preferences are. But in the future, um, you know, in future months, we want to mix it up and make it lively and interesting. Um, just asking, you know, thinking about um, different areas of the industry, what are, you might be interested in, or say a partner wants to conduct a survey, you know, some other group wants to conduct a survey, they can partner with iCount. Uh, we could see if the, and, and submit that research out to iCount reporters to, to answer. So it mainly, you know, different topics that affect consumers and patients. Um, so, you know, one future topic could be, do you know about labeling and, you know, uh, areas about that? Um, or, you know, do you want to have a voice or do you, you know, if there's a, an interested uh, group or, you know, person that's, uh, or organization that's interested in asking about, you know, opinions about a state level thing, um, you know, in your own state, um, those kinds of surveys. So it's open, open right now, um, creating a, a platform just to be able to um, encourage consumers and patients to participate um, and get these different monthly surveys that'll be around consumption, um, both from a medical and adult use, um, but then also touching on issues of social justice, you know, policy, education, um, just helping people have a voice in the industry. That, that's awesome. That, that's really fantastic. I, I think the, and the platform is probably the most impactful way to go. You, you don't pigeonhole yourself into one thing. You, you're really creating a system to support whatever kind of knowledge gathering or, or activity is desired. I, I think that's a, a really clever approach and uh, yeah, let's, let's engage all these citizen scientists. Yeah. Everybody listening should, should get on board now. <laughs> sign up now it's free and you'll get benefits uh for taking the survey each one will come out every month and if we have new partners that come on board so if other researchers are interested to collaborate or uh companies or uh groups um that's what this platform is for um you know just really trying to uh try and continue to the center of excellence vision of connecting and collaborating and um you know being able to uh, provide a platform for others to be able to participate and, um, you know, for people to have their voices heard and best practices documented. Um, so I know you also helped organize and host the first cannabis science fair in Massachusetts last year with MCR labs. Can you tell us how that event went and do you guys plan on doing it again in the future? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that one up. Um, the cannabis science fair was awesome. It was a, we started it uh, together, MCR Labs, um, you know, hosted together with the Center of Excellence and um, Boston University at the Build Lab. Uh, went really well. We had uh, 13 different poster presentations. So we started with a call for abstracts um, to, for different interested scientists uh, locally to participate. Uh, we got 13 um, uh poster uh, presenters at the end. Uh, Dr. Grinspoon presented his work and his thoughts around cannabis research and some of the challenges and barriers. Um, I also presented some of the research findings um, that we've seen over the last couple of years. So we all felt like it was a really great success. Um, it was very small scale, um, uh, you know, at the Build Lab, but it was packed um, and we got a lot of good reception. So I'm very excited to uh, continue to work with MCR Labs this year and, and do the 2022 uh, Cannabis Science Fair. 
um, location to be determined and dates and all of that still to be determined. Um, but it, it went really well and it was exciting and, and heartwarming to see uh, people so grateful for an opportunity to be able to present their science um, and to do it in a way that, um, you know, locally it was awesome. So yeah, we're really excited about, about doing it again. And I mean, Boston, Boston's a great place to, to have an event like that with so, so much academic uh, activity going on and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. It was really exciting and, you know, grateful to Boston University for um, hosting us. Um, had a really long standing relationship with BU. Um, uh, so got to give a shout out to them for being awesome in the cannabis space <laughs> and the uh, entrepreneurship Absolutely. I mean, so many schools have just been so closed off to it. It's it's great that some of these, you know, big name schools uh, are are participating and helping move things forward instead of participating in the propaganda and stagnation that that's plagued us for the last 80 years. Totally. Totally. Got to give a shout out to those institutions because it's a challenge for them. They don't necessarily want to risk their federal funding and, you know, they're kind of stuck in a limbo. And um, so those that are trying to take the charge um, and there's several around the United States um, doing really great work to advance education and, and research at a high level. So kudos to all everyone out there who's who's fighting the good fight. Yeah. Thank you all. Yeah. Okay. Well, this has been enlightening uh, and it's refreshing to hear about all of this uh, research you're doing and how you're engaging really uh, every stakeholder in in the mix. Uh, and that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, well, thank you for having me and thank you for um, doing this podcast. I listened to it and I appreciate you both. And thank you so much for having me on it. Um, uh, yeah, I would just um, say if you're a healthcare provider out there, uh, we would love to hear from you. We'll be sharing um, the results back out. Um, so want to really work to engage um, this community and, um, you know, thanks for the opportunity. So we'll drop the links uh, to take the survey and um yeah and if you're interested you're a cannabis consumer and a patient join iCount. it's free um and you can visit us at www.cannacenterofexcellence.org and learn how to sign up great thanks so much for being with us today dr McNabb. we appreciate you sharing your research with us and all the insight on what this data can mean for the future of medical cannabis yeah thank you for the time i appreciate you both so much